0: This morning's scripture reader will be taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. And if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles in the back of the pews, that would be page 966. Acts, chapter 2, 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which god did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of god you have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put to death whom god raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by Good morning. It is good to see each of you. Uh, Welcome to the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. If you're a guest, you're a great encouragement to us. We hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's a wonderful morning outside and it's a wonderful morning inside. Several weeks ago, a friend said to me, Have you seen Undercover Boss? I said, No, I've seen a few advertisements. Said, you really have got to see that. Said, the way you like business, you would really, really enjoy that. But it's a lot more than that, it touches your heart. It, it really shows how a CEO can go down and work undercover among his company and interact with the lives of the workers. Of course, the idea seems to be the very fact that most of these CEOs believe that they're going to go and work the frontline positions to learn more about their customers, to learn more about their workers, the employees that they have, and probably be able to produce a more profitable bottom line. But what tends to happen is that whenever they move closer to their employees, they start building relationships, and they start seeing individuals And they see ways that their company ought to be improved that may not have a lot to do with money, but it has a lot to do with things far more important than money. You see, Larry O'Donnell was one of the first episodes that aired on this particular show. He is the COO, Chief Operations Officer, and President of Waste Management, the largest trash business in the world. They employ 45,000 workers. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry every year. He decided that he would take one week of his life and he would go undercover. He left his multi-million dollar mansion. He kissed his wife goodbye. And he went to live in a cheap motel for a week so that his cover would not be blown. Every day he worked with different aspects of his work. Each day being introduced to the one that would train him as Randy, not Larry O'Donnell, but Randy, a man who is a new recruit that wants to learn a new position. And so as the story unfolds, Randy works along beside some amazing individuals and he sees things about his company that he never knew. You see... He left the corner office. He left the high rise in Houston. And now he meets a guy named Fred. Fred was working in Texas in a carnival. Oh, he worked for waste management. But one of his stops was a carnival, and he's driving a tanker. And Fred welcomes him to the job because today I'm going to teach you how to suction out porta potties. Now we need to get 15 of these an hour, he explains to him. And we have to leave them bright and shiny. And all this guy's on fire about his work. And Randy is amazed at how excited this man that's been on the job for 10 years is about training him for this work. And he explains to him how you can best suction them out. And he shows him the mess that you have to clean up. And then he shows him the brush and how you scrub it all down, even down to the very floor. And he's standing over the COO of the company thinking he's talking to a new recruit and he's saying, I think you have potential with this company. You're looking really good. Now shine a little more over there. This is good. Let's get on to the next one. And it's just amazing to see these. He stops in to spend a day being trained by Jacqueline. Jacqueline works in a place where they have had cutbacks. She's doing the job of four people. When they walk from building to building, she has no idea she's walking with the president of the company. And he mentions to her, you walk so fast. And she says, I have to walk fast. said, since there's been cutbacks, there's no way to get everything done unless we work very hard. And then she says to him, not knowing who she's talking about, but I don't mind it. I'm glad to work hard. I had five forms of cancer by the time I was 25. I'm not your average 29-year-old. I'm just thankful to be able to work, and I'm thankful to be able to provide a living. And by the end of the day, after she has multitasked literally all day long on the phones, she does the mail, she does the payroll, she pays the bills, she's an assistant to the administrator, as well as, on this particular site, weighs trucks as they're coming in. And so she's all the time doing two or three things at one time. Randy who is really Larry O'Donnell's, mind is blown. He can't imagine it. And at the end of the day, this sweet young lady says, I know you're from out of town. Would you like to come over to our house for supper? She invites him into her home, introduces her to her husband, her sister that has to live with her, with her, hus- her husband also, and to her father that lives there. He talks with her at supper and finds out that their house is for sale because they're not able to pay the bills any longer as their property has been reassessed and the tax has gone up so much. He figures out that really she's the one that keeps this family together. And his heart is broken for this woman that goes to work every day and she's overloaded at work and she comes home and she's overloaded at night. And let me tell you about one more. There's several others. But then there's Walter. He arrives on the first day with Walter, and Walter hands him a stick with a spear on the end and a trash bag and says, Welcome to a place to pick up litter. And here the president of the company has a trash bag, and he has a man barking orders behind him. Now, a good man could just pick up 10, uh, one bag every 10 minutes. And he's out there in the wind and he's trying to pick it up. And about the time he gets his bag half full, it blows out. And he's out trying to scrape it up and get it in. And Walter is, is yelling over his back constantly saying, You're going to have to do better than that. You're going to have to do better than that. And at lunch, they sit down and they get their brown bags out and they begin to eat. And he visits with them and he finds out that at lunch, he finds out that Walter's been on dialysis for 20 years. Three nights a week he does dialysis so that he can work every day. He explains how angry it makes him for for men of perfectly good health to not work hard and for him to be able in his poor health to work harder than the people around him. You see, what Larry O'Donnell found out was that when he came near to these people, he wanted to help Jacqueline a lot more than just with her job. He placed her on salary as the revelation comes at the end where all these individuals are brought down individually to meet with him at the big office. Now he's in his suit. And when they walk in one by one, they see him and all of them immediately say, Randy. And they're trying to figure out why Randy looks so different. And he introduces himself as Larry. And and he sits down and he explains things. And he appreciates aspects of the work that he communicates to them for Jacqueline? He gives her a raise and tells her that now she's a supervisor. She'll go on salary pay. She's eligible for bonuses. Her annual income will be sharply increased and she is to hire two more people to work under her to carry the workload in her place. And she cries and she says, now I'll be able to keep my house. Or he talks with Fred and he says, how is it that a guy can be so on fire for a work after 10 years of this same kind of difficult and dirty work. And he says, I want you to come up and all of my teammates, I want you to talk with them about attitude. And you know, his response was, I'd be honored. It'd be a pleasure because after all, you're the president of the company. And Fred I didn't mention to you, but at the end of the day, Fred, remember the one that, I'm sorry, Walter, remember the one that was telling him he ought to pick up more trash? He never did get it right. And at the end of the day, Walter fired him. (laughs) And so now Walter sees Randy and realizing it's Larry O'Donnell. And Larry says, we want to make available to you paid time off so that you can go to hospitals and dialysis clinics. And we want you to be able to motivate and encourage others with health problems because you have an amazing gift of a very sick man to do and to live a very great and extraordinary life. Friends, This morning I want to talk with you about how important it is to come near to people. You want your family to be strong? You're going to have to leave the corner office and you're going to have to come near and get right in the middle of each other's lives. And that's when we can see what each other needs. And that's when we can truly open our hearts and feel What each other needs. And if you want, as a church family, to have something that is beyond explanation, it's beyond description of how beautiful a church family is, it's when a church family constantly comes together and constantly interacts with each other and constantly gets involved in each other's lives so that we can help each other and know each other and serve each other. Where did we learn this? We didn't learn it from Undercover Boss. As I saw my first episode of that only recently, I couldn't help but realize the concept that makes that so beautiful is the concept that literally attracts us to Jesus Christ. Look again at that text as we think about God coming near, not a CEO, not, not a COO, not a president. Not some kind of celebrity or or popular person. But God Almighty came near. Look again in the second chapter there of Acts 2. And notice in verse 22. Notice how he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. God came near to us, and we as the human race, some of us had a hard time realizing it was really God. And so God proved, He attested. And notice the definition there of attested. It means to show off, to exhibit, to demonstrate, to accredit, to prove, to set forth, to show It's somewhat of a rare word in the New Testament used only three or four times. It is to take something and say, I'm going to put it before you. You can't deny its existence. Look, I'm showing it to you. And God is saying about Jesus Christ, I did not come near to you in just a quiet way and nobody ever knew it. And so therefore no one ever benefited. God came near to us And when the Lord began His public ministry for those three, three and a half years, He came near to us in a very open way. The signs, the miracles, the wonders, everything proved that it was the Almighty God. As a matter of fact, in John the third chapter, when Nicodemus came, remember he said, you have to be a teacher from God for no man could do these signs that you do. God came near. And as He came near to us, it ought to this morning make all the difference in the way you understand and the way you love God. Do you remember as a child? Do you remember laying in bed and and maybe being three, four, five years old? And do you remember a terrible thunderstorm and maybe lightning spread through the whole house? Do you remember waking up and and maybe yelling, Mama, Mama, Mama? Or maybe it was daddy, daddy, what did you want? Did you want someone from from their their corner office to yell back, go back to sleep? What'd you want? Did you want someone to just report? It's only thunder. What'd you want? You wanted somebody to come near. You wanted somebody to come and sit on the edge of the bed. Not that perhaps the storm was going to be taken away, but you wanted someone to be with you. Friends, do you realize that God has come near? And John, the first chapter, verse 1 through 14, is a powerful beginning to the gospel of John where John will tell about the life of Jesus. But as he tells about the life of Jesus, in this chapter, he begins by calling Jesus the Word, W-O-R-D. And notice what he says in verse 1, John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. See, he wasn't on this earth in the beginning. He was with God in heaven, and the Word was God. But notice in 14, something changes about where Jesus will manifest his presence. He says in 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul teaches this same thing in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter and verse 9, where he says that Jesus left the riches of heaven to take on the poverty of this earth so that in our poverty, we could enjoy the riches of heaven. Think about that. God came near so that we could in turn for an eternity go near to Him. He literally took on the form of flesh and blood. He became one of us. God came near. And that's why in Acts, the 17th chapter, if you want to be turning there, Paul teaches a powerful sermon. And he's standing before individuals that do not know the Almighty God. And there are temples lining this city of Athens. And within every temple is an idol, is, is a false god. And now he stands on Mars Hill and he wants to introduce to them the almighty God. And he makes a powerful plea, speaking of God being the creator. But even among these people that would have lived a very immoral life, many of them would have... He still makes this passionate plea that I hope appeals to all of us today. In Acts 2, I'm sorry, in Acts 17, he says in 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also Your poets have said, for we are also His offspring. He's not far from any one of us. There are many of us here this morning, and many of us would be at various parts of our journey. There might be someone here this morning that says, God's not close to me. You don't know the life I've lived. You don't know the past actions in my life. You don't know the pain or the hurt or the crime or the dishonor that I have committed. Friends, I want you to hear the Word of God. The Word of God is that God is near every one of us. Jesus Christ didn't come near. He didn't leave heaven to come to this earth so that man could say, I tried to find Jesus and He can't be found. I tried to reach that corner office and I was not able to get enough promotions. I wanted to approach him and he wouldn't make an appointment with me. Listen, there's not a sin that God won't forgive. There's not a soul that the father won't open his arms and welcome as they decide to come home. God is not far from anyone in this house. God is not far from anyone that you know. It may boggle our mind And we may try to associate human reasoning with it that would deflate the idea. But when we listen to God and God's wisdom, God is not far from any of us if we'll just turn to Him. And where does that leave? Whenever God comes near us, it leaves us with a powerful teaching. And that is, because He's come near, God sympathizes with us. You know, isn't it interesting about that television show, The Undercover Boss, that it wasn't until those CEOs come near to the individuals that they begin to sympathize with them? Isn't it interesting the very fact that, that if we want to really feel another person's hurt, we've got to come near them so that we can sympathize with them? We have to come near them and we have to strive to understand them. We have to strive to listen to them. And that's a powerful lesson as it relates to relationships. You want to grow the relationship with your spouse, come near to them to listen to them. Come near to them to understand them. Come near to feel what they are feeling. The same way with our children. You want to help your child? You can sit symbolically in that corner office and you can tell them they need to bring up their grades. You can tell them what they need to do different around the house. But if you'll come near to them and you'll walk with them and you'll involve your life in their life, you'll roll up your sleeves and say that you're in this together, it changes everything. Jesus Christ didn't stay in heaven and then say, I'm trying to understand what you might be going through. Instead, when we look there in Acts, the second chapter, notice in verse 22, where he says, in your midst, as ye yourselves also know, he lived in our midst. And that changes everything. Turn over, if you will, to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. One of the most beautiful passages in the Bible to help us understand Jesus coming near. Look in Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16. Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16. All of the words here are powerful, but for today's lesson, especially notice a phrase in each one of these verses. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Why is he a great high priest? The Hebrew writer understood the same thing we're studying today. And he says, i tell you one reason why he's a great high priest. He left heaven. He passed through heaven to come down to live with us on earth. Notice what that does for us in 15. We're going to have a double negative here. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. In other words, without the double negative, he's saying we have a high priest because he's passed through heaven. He's lived among us. He can sympathize with all of the struggles that we go through. He was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin because Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. When he stubbed his toe, it hurt. If he broke his finger, he probably cried and shed a tear. When his friend gossiped behind his back, it cut him to the quick. Whenever he was tight on money at the end of the month, he had to deal with it. Whenever Satan was trying to pull him down, he had to fight and overcome. He knows... What you know, and a lot more. If I were to say to you right now, list your greatest struggle that you have in your life. You've got it? The Lord knows what you're going through because He's walked in your shoes. He has been flesh and blood. He's lived among humans. He's felt the life that is under the influence of an enemy that constantly wants to destroy what is good. We do not walk this way alone. There is one who sympathizes with every step. And that's why that next verse is, is even So much powerful and greater when we put 14 and 15 with it. Look at 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know you have a real friend. That real friend is the one that whenever you really, really need something, not only do they help you, they're glad they can help you. And they'll even tell you after they're over with, they'll say things like this. I am so glad I was with you during that time. That would have been very difficult for you to go through alone. You know, somebody that's not a real friend is like, man, that's bad timing. They just took up half my day. I wish I wouldn't have ran into them today. Do you see what 16 is saying here? We've got a Lord that's passed through the heavens. We've got a Lord that knows everything that we go through and He can sympathize with us. And then He closes out verse 16 by saying that He gives us more grace. Grace is an abundant gift. Why? To help in time of need. God is with us at all times. God is a blessing at all times. But let's face it. There are times in our life when we recognize how desperate we are for help and we recognize that if we don't receive help at that time, it's going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible. And to know that God is that kind of friend that at that moment, He steps up and says, I've been right where you are. I love you. I want to help you. I know it's a feeble illustration, but I just want you to think. I remember a few years ago driving very, very late at night in South Alabama on the interstate and the traffic had thinned out because it was so late and it was very dark and I had a flat tire. My back right tire went flat and as I pulled the car off the road, I immediately just looked left to right and and probably even said out loud, it is so dark. And then I remember reaching for the middle console, hoping that what I always intended to keep there was there. I was glad to reach and realize it's still there. But then you know what my next thought is right before I hit the power button. Are the batteries going to be strong? Have I tested them lately? Have I checked them lately? I was thankful to be able to hit that switch and the light come on and to be able to go on the side of that dark interstate and prop that light up and and be able to see the 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 lug nuts and be able to see where to put the jack friends do you realize God wants us to be friends to each other that says I want to walk with you. I want to sympathize with you. I want to be one that I'm there during the good days, but during the tough days, you can reach over at any time and you can hope that I'm there and I, and I want to be there. But the fact is, none of us are perfect. We let each other down sometimes. We have friends that we love dearly that will let us down sometime. but there is one that will never let us down. There is one that has passed through the heavens and he's come to this earth and he sympathizes with us. He's walked in your shoes, and you can count on Him in time of need. God will empower us. But our problem is, in Acts 2 and 23, we realize when we rely upon our own power, as a human race, we crucified the Lord. In Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and verse six, we find out that every time we sin today, we crucify the Lord afresh. Can you imagine holding down the wrist of our Lord and Savior and holding that spike into His hand and slamming the hammer against the spike? And someone says, I could never do that. Brethren, we do that. When we sin, we do that. Are we going to be on the side of the enemy that crucified Him or are we going to be on the side of the Lord? When we rely upon our own power, our own wisdom, which is actually foolishness, We find ourselves on the wrong side. But what happens when we rely upon the side of God? Back in that same text in Acts 2 and 23, when we rely upon the side of God, upon His power, notice, He says, whom God raised up in verse 24. I'd like for you to look at this next slide. And we don't have time to develop this thought, but I just want to mention to you that throughout the Bible, it explains the realm of the dead and it explains it being an enemy of ours. And remember, the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is actually death itself. And that's why when we come down to the bottom of this next slide in Acts second chapter 24, I want you to notice this again. This is from our text this morning on the next slide. Notice where he says, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Death was trying to hold Jesus in the grave. And notice, the pain of death. And there is a sweet irony here to the writing. The Hebrew, I'm sorry, the Greek language here is literally the same word for pain as birth pains. In other words, can you tell a woman that's in labor, why don't we wait a couple weeks to have this baby? Death couldn't hold. Death could not hold him. It was time. He was coming out of the grave. And instead of death conquering, literally the pain of death was like a birth process where Jesus overcame. This morning, the beauty is that God invites us. You see, he went to the grave, but that grave was found empty. And all of us, one of these days, unless we live until Jesus comes again, we too will go to the grave. But you know, when you live for that great resurrection, that approach to the grave is not all negative. There's really a lot of beautiful aspects to it because we recognize this the passageway for us to live for eternity. This morning, will you come near to a God that has come near to you. If we can help you in any way this morning in your relationship with God, we'd love to do that. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, we would... Love to assist you with that. If you need to come back and pray forgiveness, we'd love to help you with that. Or maybe this is the very first step and, and you want to sit down and study and, and and discuss and figure out more of what God's will is for you. We would love to do that. Friends, there's a great resurrection that took place. But the only way that resurrection took place was because first God came near. And He sympathizes with us. And He conquered death. And He's coming back again one day. So we too, through Him, can conquer death. If we can help you in any way, comes we stand, as we sing.